thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Today's message is from our executive pastor, Pastor Kevin Kelts. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, happy Father's Day, everybody. Look at a dad right now and say happy Father's Day. There you go. There you go. If you're watching this morning online, find a dad. Maybe text a dad right now. Tell him happy, happy Father's Day. Um, I do just want to say happy Father's Day to all the dads. Don't we, can we just give a hand clap for all the dads that we have here at the exchange? I mean, we have some amazing dads. I, I, I can tell you that we've been here for almost five years, around five years, and just the, the magnitude of dads that we've had here, um, just like Chris Campbell. Man, I am challenged as a father by his love for his kids and, and uh, just how he's an awesome dad and, and teaching. Uh, I'm challenged. I'm challenged by these guys. And I just want to say that I love you guys and happy Father's Day to y'all. Um, give a big shout out this morning to our uh, pastor, Jared. He is this morning with his family. They went on a trip and with his mom and dad and his sister and brother-in-law and uh, I think some aunts and uncles and they all went down to South Padre Island, the uh, Corpus Christi area. So just be praying for them. I think they're having a great, great time. Uh, be praying that uh, our pastor gets some aloe vera because I saw the, his back. <laughs> he sent me a picture and <laughs> he got a little sunburn. But um, this morning, we do want to celebrate our dads. To you guys, happy Father's Day. Uh, we don't want any of our dads to leave this morning without you getting a present. So right in the back before you leave, please grab one of the presents from the exchange this morning. Just tell them, uh, we just want to show our appreciations to you guys. Um, and my, my message this morning is, is something that I'm very passionate about. It's something that I've walked through. I believe I've been working on this sermon for about 12 years, and um, it's, a, it's a dad's sermon. It's a sermon about fathers. It's a sermon about the father, and, and I, I entitled it this morning, Jesus Came to Reveal the Father. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. Jesus came to reveal the Father, and I really believe that this is going to just dovetail off of, if you didn't hear Bishop Jamie's sermon two weeks ago, please go and watch it. If you, if you were here and uh, you've already listened to it, go watch it again. It's going to dovetail right off of what Pastor Jonathan preached last week. If you were here last week, go and listen to it again. I did this last week just an awesome, awesome word, and really this is, it's just set up to go right into this word today, and um, I, I do, 
love movies. Any, any other movie lovers out there? You like to watch some movies, some good entertainment, awesome. Anybody love the, the Bourne, Jason Bourne movies? All right, Jason Bourne. Well, in one of the later Jason Bourne movies, he is trying to find out some information. He's trying to find out why everything that has happened to him, why it has happened to him. He's trying to find out some information about his father. Everybody say father. And he gets that information. And this information is shocking to him. He finds out something about his dad that he, he never knew. And this discovery, it changes his whole perspective on life. It changes everything. And how many know that that can happen? If you think that you know something to be true about your dad, and then you find out, whether it's good or bad, you find out something new to be true about them, good or bad, it, it will change your perspective. There's, a, there's a, a famous song out there I remember hearing, and he says, fathers, be good to your daughters, because they'll love like you do. And and there's just something about the power of a dad. There's something about the power of a father. I have a quick question for you. What if you found out some new information today about, let's say you found out today, somebody told you and they had evidence that you had a sister that you never knew. They proved it to you with evidence. They had DNA evidence, and then you found out that your family, your own family, had been hiding this information from you for years. H how would that feel? What, what would that, that be like? The reason I ask this question, I bring all this up, is because for years, I feel like my family, and when I say the fam, my family, I'm, I'm not talking about uh, my personal mom and dad and, and my sister. I feel like my church family. And, and, and it was unknowingly, and it wasn't with any ill intentions, that they hid information from me about my father, my heavenly father. And so for years and years and years, I have been on a, on a journey to find out who is, who is God, who is God as, as a father. And it is Father's Day today, and, and today I want to talk to you about our family, and I want to talk to you about our father, because do you guys believe that we are a family here at the exchange? Do you believe that? I do. Good. Hands all around. Do you believe that God is our father? I definitely do believe that God is is our father. But I can tell you that maybe you too as well had people in your life who told you things about our father that, and it wasn't because they were malicious, they had malicious intent. It was because it's all that they knew, but they told you things that were false about our father, things about our father that just wasn't true. And on my over 40 or almost 42 years, this journey that I've had, I can tell you there's something that I've come to know, and I want to share this with you, 
is I've come to know that Jesus, and you can write this down, Jesus is perfect theology. I want you to think about that. Jesus is perfect theology. Anything that you think you know about God that you can't find in the person of Jesus, you have to stop and you have to question. You have to think about it. You have to reason out. Because listen, the title of my message today, Jesus came to reveal the Father. He came to reveal the Father. See, John recorded a prayer. And he recorded this, we find it in John 17, and it's a prayer that Jesus prayed. And I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. And, and I want you to just pay special attention to what Jesus prayed and what he, what he said. Jesus prayed and he said, Oh, righteous Father. Everybody say Father. So he speaks, he comes, Jesus and, and there's one thing I can tell you, I've been challenged in a lot of my beliefs over the years, and one thing that, that I can't get past is God incarnate, God coming to earth as the man Jesus. So Jesus, think, think about this, Jesus, the Son of God, man on the earth, speaking now, praying to the Father, everybody say the Father, and he says, oh, Father, the world doesn't know you. We've got a problem. The world does not know you, but I do, Father. I know you. And these disciples that you've given me, they know, Father, they know that you have sent me. And I, Father, have revealed you. Who is you? The Father. Father, I have revealed you to them. And I will continue to do so. So what did he come to do? He came to reveal the Father. And then he says, and when this happens, as I continue to do what you sent me to do, he says, then your love for me now will be transferred. It will be in them. And I also will be in them. If you're taking notes today, write it down. Jesus came to reveal the Father. He came to an orphan planet. He came to an orphan people to reveal the truth of who God is, that God ultimately is Father. And on my journey a couple years ago, I just started to study this out as God is revealing himself to me as Father. And I can tell you it was hard. It was very hard for him to do that because I had so many walls put up. You know, I, I was taught that God was a ruler, that he was a king of a kingdom, and that he is majesty, he is glorious, and I am a worm. I am nothing. I deserve nothing. And so he, when we would sing the songs that we sing today, I would bow down and worship his majesty, not because I was a son choosing to serve in his kingdom and I loved my father, it's because he was a harsh taskmaster, and I was a hireling, just waiting for him to throw me some crumbs. I don't know if anybody else has ever had that type of relationship with God, but th this is where I was. And so as he starts to peel away some of these layers and say, no, son, no, I, I get that the people that raised you were good at finding the words to serve and finding the words about servant, but I didn't call you to be a servant. I made you a son. 
And I want to reveal myself to you as first a father. And when you find yourself as a son, you choose to serve in my kingdom. And so what happens is I started to look and find him as a father. And, and I start to look and find every place that I could find of why God manifested himself incarnate as the son, as Jesus. Why did Jesus come to the earth? And what I found is a long list of things. Jesus came to live. Jesus came to die. He came to fulfill the old covenant. He came to initiate a new and a better covenant of grace that we now live in. He came to set captives free. He came to open the eyes of the blind. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. Amen? Did he do these things? Yes. The list goes on and on. And it's a great list. It's all throughout this book of scriptures that we have, but all of those things I want to point out to you are subpoints to the primary point. And sometimes what happened in the group that I was raised up is we got so caught up in the subpoints that we never fully caught the prime, the primary point is that he came to reveal the Father. Why did he heal? Why did he revert, why did he destroy the works of the enemy? Because that's what a father would do. See, that's the prime point. That's why he came, to reveal the father. Everything that Jesus did as the son was to reveal the father. He said, while he was here on this earth, I and the father are one. One day, Philip looks at him and says, show us the father. And what did Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've seen the father. He says, Philip, the whole reason that I'm here is to reveal the Father to you. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Think about this. Think about all the responses, the interaction with people on this earth that Jesus had. Like the time that he healed blind Bartimaeus. In doing what he did, in healing this man, think about it. What was he doing? He was revealing the father. He was doing what any father would do to their son if they had the ability to open their eyes. He never stepped out of his assignment. He, he, he never got away from his purpose to show us what the heavenly father was like. Every single thing that he did, every single word that he spoke to the point that he said, I don't do anything that I don't see my father doing. I don't say anything that I don't see my father or hear my father saying. I mean, think about that, guys. It's such a strong primary function in his life that he came to this earth. He wouldn't even say a word unless the father said it first. Jesus came to reveal something to this planet that had never been revealed before. It had been tried... It, God had been trying to reveal it for years and generations and generations and generations, but had never been accepted. And this is what it was. It was this idea that we are not orphans. We have a father, a good father, who is perfect, who is love, 
Come on, that's a great place to say it. Who is wild about his children. Revealing the Father was the heartbeat of the Son as he walked on this earth. In John 17, John records another prayer that Jesus prays. And in this moment, it's, it's Jesus communicating to the Father again, but this is later on, and he's giving an account for his life on this earth. And, and as he's communicating to the Father, everybody say the Father. As he's communicating the Son to the Father of his life on this earth, he says, God, Father, I made your name manifest. Father, I declared your word. In this prayer, he says, Father, I performed your works. He goes through this list of several things, and at the end, he says, Father, I finished the work that you gave me to do. And what was the work that God gave him to do, the Father gave him to do? It was to reveal the Father. So blind Bartimaeus was healed because Jesus was showing us what the Father was like. Multitudes were fed. Why? Because that is what a father would do. There was this woman caught in adultery. You all remember this story? It's not just a story. It really happened. Woman gets caught in adultery. She gets drugged and thrown in front of a multitude of people while Jesus is preaching. What does Jesus do? There's a group of Pharisees with stones in their hands, ready to do with the law, what they would do normally. Happened all the time, day in and day out. They would stone people to death. This is according to the law of Moses. And what does Jesus do? Does he condemn her? No, he kneels down in the dirt with her, and he starts writing in the sand. And we don't know what he wrote in the sand. I've heard lots of messages preached on what he wrote in the sand. We don't know what it was. But whatever he wrote in the sand released such an atmosphere of grace that the people who were there, who were under the law, fled. One by one, they dropped their rocks and they left. What was going on? What was this moment between Jesus and this woman caught in adultery? I can tell you, I know exactly what this moment was. It was a moment between a father and a daughter. What would a father do if they had a chance to restore their daughter? Pick up a stone when it's, that's the law? No, what would a father do? That's what Jesus came to do. He came to show us the father. Everything, everything Jesus did was about revealing the father. But tragically, we have so many people that have had such a rotten and terrible upbringing that the whole concept of God being our father, it terrifies them. And and I'm talking about if you had an absent father or you had a terrible father at home. I'm talking about even if you had a great father, but you were taught lies about our heavenly father in church. It's terrifying to a lot of us, and it makes me so sad. But please hear me when I say that this is not too good to be true, what I'm saying today, okay? It's not too good to be true. It's so good it is true. Come on, somebody. 
So Jesus comes and he reveals the Father. And the only people, think about this, the only people that had a problem with him, the only people that continued to reject him were the religious leaders. The only ones that had problems with Jesus. As he is doing what? Coming to reveal the heart of the Father. All these situations that I just told you, the only ones that have problems with him are the religious leaders. It is crazy to me that the ones that were drawn to him and sought out to be with Jesus were the non-religious, the ones that were living crazy lifestyles. It made no sense to me growing up as a young boy in church. I remember the story of Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus? Was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Remember him? Okay. Well, this guy was a man who had been stealing from this community for years and years and years. He was a tax collector. How do you currently feel about tax collectors? Okay. You're just starting to get a little picture and a feeling of what his own people felt towards him. He would skim off the top as he was collecting from them illegally for his own personal gain. And we know that, but not because, not because Jesus pointed it out to him, because he confessed it to Jesus. That's, that's why we know this. Can you imagine having a bank account full of stolen money? And you want to go be with God. I mean, that never made any sense to me when I was a kid growing up in the church. I mean, I was taught an idea of this all-powerful ruler. He was not father. He was master. Okay? He was, I was taught an idea of sinners in the hands of an angry God. I was taught that he was angry at us. And the reason that he was angry at us is because we had done wrong things. And because we had done wrong things, we, had not, we were not right with him. That was the verbiage. And so now I needed to do good things. I needed to do a couple. I needed to jump through some hoops to make things right with him because he was this Lord, he was this ruler, he was all-powerful, and he had a kingdom. And if I wanted to have any crumbs in this kingdom, that I needed to do these things. And I see this guy, Zacchaeus, who is only doing wrong things, and he is drawn to be with Jesus. It didn't make any sense to me. I mean, I'm thinking, when I hear that story, like, is this guy just begging for a beating? Because every time I come to church, that's what I got. In the name of the Father, of the all-powerful ruler of the universe, you need to come down to this altar and you need to beg for forgiveness. To get right with him. Because he's angry right now. Like, is he just wanting to be beat up? And, and here is what's going on in the story is that Zacchaeus saw something in the person of Jesus that I wasn't taught because I was taught some lies about my father. See, Zacchaeus, he was willing to risk everything that he was, and he was willing to risk everything that he had for one moment of encounter 
because he saw a father. And you know, Jesus saw it. Jesus recognized it. As he was walking by, he stopped. And he looked at him. And he didn't say, I judge you. What did he do? He did what a father would do. He said, hey, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. Let's go break bread together. I'm going to go to your house. Let's sit down and have a meal. Why did he do that? Because that's what a father would do. Here's something else that's amazing. Matthew chapter 6. When Jesus was teaching people how to pray. This is what he says. He says, guys, when you pray, pray like this. What's the first two words? Our Father. He was focused on developing a concept of family. Not a, not a rulership, not a kingdom of hirelings. On, he was focused on developing a community. He said, guys, guys, he's our father. He's not our, our, our ruler. He's our father. There are things about him as a father that you can only learn. Hear what I'm about to say. In relationship with other people. And I can tell you, there is a, a, a place that the church plays in the crisis of our nation right now. Because of we wouldn't have relationship with other people because we're in and you're out. We, we, we've done what we needed to do and we're in this kingdom and you're out of this kingdom. And we play. It got to the point, I remember, and you may not share my story. And if you don't, then like they say in Australia when I was there, good on you, mate. Good on you. But I can remember growing up and my parents telling me, now here's the thing, Kevin. We love God, and we're a part of God's family, and we're a part of this church. But that church over there, they love God, and they're a part of God's family. We just don't want you to be around them, though. Stay away from them. Because they have different beliefs than us. And we don't want you to believe in like them because we're not really sure that they're a part of God's family. And then there's these people all the way across town, and they call themselves the church of Christ. And they believe that none of us are going, so definitely stay away from all of them. That's what my parents told me. Do you know that the word Pharisee, it's literally translated separatist? And we were separating. Not in the name of the Father. We'll talk about it in a little, in a little bit more. But in this idea of kind of where the Jews were when Jesus shows up. In the name of a ruler that would come and make us the great people. So... Guys, we have to get back to this place where we see God as a father. And we have to know that we can only learn some things about the father in relationship with other people. That's a good place to say amen. 
It's not independent discoveries. Even though we individually have a relationship with the Father, there's still something to, about knowing the aspect that he is not my Father. He is, what did Jesus say? When you pray, pray like this. So when Jesus came to communities that he went to and he walked through towns, they would press in on him and they would try to touch his clothing and they would stop him and he would stop and he would preach and he would heal them and, and he, would, he would make them see and he would deliver them and, and he would raise them from the dead. And they're all, the whole purpose behind every action and every encounter that he had was to show people this is what the Father is like. This is what the Father is like. It's to reveal the Father. And the reason is, is because there is a huge vacuum in the heart of every person. There is. Well, Pastor, is, it, is this vacuum, is it for love? Of course. Of course it's for love. We all want love. We all want acceptance. But really, it's way deeper than that. It's for a Father. We all long. For a father. That's why Jesus came to reveal the father. You see, you can take the problems in our world. You can take the crisis of our own nation right now. You can take any of the issues across the board that you see, and every one of them you can trace back to a father issue somehow, some way. I recently saw an interview with Denzel Washington. Does anybody know who the great actor Denzel Washington is? He's a great African-American leader. And this lady asked him this question. This is the question. Listen to the question. She said, for black people in particular, do you think that we, because she was also African-American, she said, do you think that we can truly make change as things are right now? Do you know what Denzel Washington, on a national platform, he could have said anything in this moment, in this climate. Do you know what he said? This was he said, this is what he said, and I quote, it starts in the home. If the father is not in the home, the boy will find a father in the streets. I saw it in my generation and every generation before me and everyone since. If the streets raise you, then the judge will become your mother and the prison becomes your home. Are you starting to understand why it was so important for Jesus to come and reveal our Father. Let me just say this. He's better than you think. Our Father. He's better than you think. So we have to change the way that we think. We've got to adjust our thinking. That's what repentance is. It's just changing the way that you think. It's not begging and pleading for somebody to forgive you. It's changing your mindset. We've got to change the way that we think to accommodate a father that's better than we thought he was. That's extremely good. Come on. That's full of compassion and mercy. That knows his mercy knows no limits. Come on, somebody. That he has unconditional love. Like I said earlier, Jesus is perfect theology. Anything that you think you know about God that you can't find in the person of Jesus 
there's a reason to question it. For years now, God has been revealing himself to me, like I said, as a father. Because I went through this, this season of my life where I was told lies about the father, lies about the father. And so I started studying scripture for myself, and I started to see some truths about, about the father that I want to share with you today on Father's Day. And one of those truths, and I don't think anybody would argue with me if I said this right now, is that, is this, that all humanity are children of God. Like, if I said that, I don't think I would get a lot of kickback on, uh, you know, like pushback on that. Because I remember growing up when I was a kid hearing another song, Jesus loves the little children. All. Some of them? No. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. So if I was to say to you that all of humanity are God's children, I wouldn't get any pushback. Now, <laughs> I'm not saying that to you and getting a pushback from you. If you used to say that to me, you would get big pushback from me. Because if you say the word children to me, I, if you say we're all, all humanity is God's children, I just think of children. And children are innocent. Right? Like, you're a dad. You have a child. He's innocent. Right? Like, if, if somebody came to you and said he did this, and because he did this, it equals that he gets the death penalty, and you had a chance to save his life, would you do it? Absolutely. Because you're a father. That's what fathers do. Right? So, you love your children. He's innocent. In your eyes. What changes is when people become adults, right? So that, that's what was taught to me. And so I would think that, whoa, whoa, whoa what are you talking about? Um, all of humanity are God's children. Because I would push back on that because I was taught something. Now, here, let me just jump into this question uh, and ask you a question. I want you to think about this. Does our choice make God... Our father. Because Jesus said he's our father. Does our choice make God our father? Well, Jesus addressed this question in a conversation that he had with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And so if you have your Bibles, turn them to John chapter 3. I'll also put it up on the screen for you. John chapter 3, uh, John recorded this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. And so Jesus says this to Nicodemus. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see, and that's what I couldn't do for years and years. I couldn't see. I couldn't see the Father. But he says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Everybody say born again. And if you're taking notes or have your, I want you to really highlight that word born. It's a very important word, born. Born again. So Nicodemus says, how can somebody be born, you can underline it again, and he says be born. How can somebody be born when they are old? That doesn't make any sense. Nicodemus asks, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. He's not getting it. So Jesus answers him. So this is, think about this. This is the son of God 
manifest on the earth, come to do, what is his mission on this earth? To reveal the heart of the Father. And what does he say? He says, very truly, I tell you, again, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. I want you to underline born and um, underline spirit. Notice that it's a capital S. Capital S. What does that mean? What do you think that means? Is it talking about maybe God, the Spirit of God? Capital S. Verse 6. He says this. Jesus says this. So he starts to explain what to be born again means. And he says this. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Think about that. We all understand that, right? Your flesh, I'm a father, you're the mother of our kids, we came together, flesh, and you, flesh, gave birth to flesh. We get that. Nicodemus is like, yes. But then he says this, but spirit is the one who gives birth to spirit. So he says, capital S spirit gives birth to lowercase spirit. Then he says, you should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. Underline that. You must be born again. We'll get back to that. Then he says this. So he explains it. He says, this is what it's like, Nicodemus. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is. And he says it right there. This is what it's like. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit to be born again. Okay? Let's talk about that. So Jesus looks at Nicodemus, and he tells him, you must be born again. And I think we all agree that's an, that's an imperative part of our theology, of our faith. It is, but something I think is often overlooked is the word you. If you go study this out, you'll find you is plural. So he's not speaking specifically to Nicodemus. He's making a statement. If it was Texas vernacular, he said, y'all, you all, you all must be, everybody say be. Go study this out. The word be here indicates being the recipient of, you know, it makes sense, okay? Being the recipient of something, when you think about being born, so, you're, you must be born. You're the recipient of being born, right? Not the creator or the initiator of being born. Does that make sense? I mean, it only makes sense in the sentence when you study it out. Everyone, Jesus said, must be born again. We'll see in just a second. It really means born from above is a better translation. So that they can see the kingdom. Then to further emphasize kingdom's, uh, Nicodemus's lack of control over the process, Jesus teaches him two very simple ideas that I want you to think about these ideas so you can understand. It, it, it's very basic what he's trying to get him. The first idea is this. Let me ask you a question so you can get it. All of you guys, answer this question. Did you have a choice in being born? Did you have... A choice. Did you choose to be born? I mean, you're not, because he talks about natural birth too. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Did you have a choice 
in that? Did, did you initiate your own birth? None of us did. So, he says, as a child doesn't create himself or choose to be born or initiate his own birth, so too, he says in verse 6, it is the Spirit, capital S, that gives birth to Spirit. That makes this, what we're talking about, being born again or being born from above, it is the Spirit that initiates this. It is the Spirit that chooses this. In addition, Jesus then goes on to make the same point to Nicodemus, that he said, and he says, y'all, again, y'all have no choice over the matter because the Spirit is like the wind. That's completely independent of our control or choice. Think about that. Jesus compares the Spirit, the one who is initiating the birth, who is doing the work. He says that one that's doing the work is like the wind. Let me ask you another question. How many of you have control over the wind? Or is the wind completely in control? Right? Is it out of our control? Is the wind out of our choices? In fact, scholars suggest that again is not the best trans or uh, again is not the best translation of the word. It should be born from above. And a lot there's several translations that actually say that instead of born again, it says born from above. It's a more literal translation because from above denotes the origin of the action that Jesus is making the point to. So Jesus taught that it was necessary for everyone to be the recipient of a new birth that would be created not by the choice or the initiative or the control of individuals to get into this family. Rather, it would be by the choice and control or the initiative of our Father. just like natural birth that's why we hear in john chapter 1 verse 13 who not of blood nor of a will of flesh nor of a will of man not of those things but of god we were begotten see jesus was teaching this while he was think about this living in the old covenant he has not died he has not rose from the grave. He has not ascended unto heaven. He is teaching this, setting up in the old covenant. He's setting the table for the new covenant that we now live in, but we read it where we're at. But people, I'm telling you that it was happening in a different, completely covenant. Jesus hasn't died. He hasn't rose from the dead, ascended yet. When he's having this conversation, listen, John chapter 1, verse 11, I'll put it up on the screen for you. Jesus came to that which was his own, his own, but his own did not receive him. What's that speaking to? Listen, Jesus came to all of the people of the world as a Savior to reveal the heart of the Father, to reveal the Father. Amen? Amen. But listen to me. During his human life, he had to come specifically to his own people, the people of Israel, where this thing all started, the Jews, right? And if any culture on earth should have been able to recognize him, the Messiah, it ought to have been God's chosen people, Israel. They had been given God's word. They had God's prophets. They had so many prophecies about the Messiah. And listen to this. Nicodemus, the one that Jesus is having a, this conversation with, trying to explain this to him, is a devout Jew. 
Okay, he is a Pharisee. He is a member of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus, and think about this, and his people, the Jews, are very oppressed in this moment of time, in this history. They're under the rule and thumb of the Roman Empire. They have no rights. They are told what they can do, when they can do it, how much taxes they have to pay. It's unfair. They don't like it. And because of all this, and because of years and years and years of oppression, they are a very exclusive people. They are, all, they are to their own. They would, we would call them a very racist people back then. Okay, they're very, we are to ourselves, and we are God's chosen people. And, and, and when the Messiah comes, he's not coming for anybody else but for us. I mean, if you remember, Peter, one of our most celebrated apostles, has a hard, hard, hard time believing what Jesus had said, that this is for all people. Because he was a Jew, and he thought it was just for them. They wanted Jesus to come and set up a kingdom and be their king on this earth when Jesus was coming to reveal the Father. And so in the middle of what is going on in Nicodemus's life, and in the life of the world, in the region at that time, Jesus starts to have this conversation with Nicodemus, and he starts to unpack what? The Father. Nicodemus, there's, no in, there's nobody in and out. He's the Father of all. In fact, when you pray, let's pray like this. He reveals the Father. He comes on the scene. It made the Jews so mad because he is solidifying it with signs, wonders, miracles. And then he starts to teach a new way, a new day, a new covenant. He reveals the Father and he teaches that a recipient of being born from above being a part of the family is not the people. You don't get in by keeping the law, which is what the Jews thought. He says, no, it's not by something that you do. It's not by your choice or your initiative or your control. The control of the individual, Nicodemus. He says, no. It's going to be by the choice and the control and the initiative of our Father. Everybody's in this family. We're all children of God. So the question started to rise with me as I was really on this passage of getting all these filters out and these lies breaking down about my father. Well, when, when did this happen, though? When were we born from above? And where does the Bible teach when this apparent massive corporate rebirth happened? Well, I'll show you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It's amazing. Please write that down. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, the writer says, Praise be to the God and the what? Praise be to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he, who is he? The Father. In his mercy, the Father has given us, all of us, new birth. There it is right there. That's the new birth into a living hope 
And how did this happen? How did he do it? It was not by our choice. It was through what he did, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Guys, early on in church history, when the church was taken off, they celebrated not the death, but the resurrection, because that was celebrating the life, the new birth, everybody into the family of God. Do you see the timing of the new birth? It's in the past. It was actually in the writer's past, which means it's also in our past because that was a long time ago, but coincides with the resurrection. Everybody say the resurrection. Coincides with the resurrection of Christ. Let's see what Paul had to say about the same thing, the timing. In Paul's letters to the Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, to, uh, uh, in Colossians 2, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he teaches that because Jesus is both the creator holding everything together, so fully God, and he is the son of man, so fully man, which means that he's incarnating God and mankind together in his body. I'll say that again. He's incarnating God and mankind together in his body. Together. Everybody say together. Mankind. Are you included in mankind? Yes, together in his body. Because of that, he teaches over and over and over. When Jesus died, he died as the last Adam. When he died, he died for all. When he died, all died. So then when Jesus made, was made alive at the resurrection, which is what we just read in 1 Peter chapter 3, then all were brought into new birth. All lived. Then were all made alive together with him. When Jesus was raised and seated, we were raised and we were seated with him in heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. I'll read it to you. But because of his great love. Whose great love? The Father's great love for us. God, the Father, who is so rich in mercy, made us alive. Who? Us. All of us. Made us alive with Christ even when. Everybody say when. When we were dead in transgressions, it is by his grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. If you pay attention in verse 5, the word when is an adverb of time that modifies the entire passage. It says, he's saying, I want you to turn around and look at the death, burial, and resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, because at that same moment, when, everybody say when, at the same moment when that happened, when that was happening to Christ, it happened to all humanity. That's why if you read his writings over and over, he says together with together with, and we together with, and he together with. You see, God is the creator. He is the origin. He is the genesis of all things, including Adam, including all humanity. The Greek word for father is pater. I'll put this up on the screen for you. This is the Greek it refers to a begetter, an originator. See, God the Father is our originator, our progenitor, our progenitor, one in intimate connection and relationship, a father, one who imparts life and is committed to it. 
a progenitor, bringing into and being to pass on the potential for likeness. Listen to this. The Hebrew, in Hebrew, the Hebrew language actually started with pictographs, and then it formed into letters. So the pictographs paint a thousand words. So I'm going to show you some pictures right quick. The word for father in Hebrew is aleph bet. It's two words put together. Aleph was an ox head. So they would draw an ox head, which to them, it meant strength. It meant a strong leader. It meant the head, okay? So to put the word father, they would put those two symbols together. The other one, bet, was the image of a house, which represents the family. When Jesus came, he came in the Hebrew, he came to reveal God the Father. God is the Father. He is the head of our family. He is our Father. And when Luke gives the genealogy of Jesus Christ, he traces it all the way back to Genesis. I'll show you in Luke chapter 3, verse 37. He says this, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared. Pastor Jared's in there. Wow. The son of Mahalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of who? Adam. What's the next one? The son of God. Have y'all ever noticed that? See, I wasn't taught that. I taught that Adam, it was all about Adam. I was taught that God ceased to be in the father to humanity at the fall of Adam. Because Adam, I was taught, was the head of humanity, was the head of the human race. And because of what he did when he failed, he severed that fatherhood relationship with all humanity. And since then, everyone has been in the same pickle, the same family. We've all been separated from that father. But that's what I was told. But when I started to study, it just wasn't true. What I found is that the fall of Adam is not a phrase ever even used in the Bible. You can't find it. What Adam did, it did not sever the fatherhood relationship with God at all. Just look at what happened immediately. It was God who came looking for Adam in the cool of the day to fellowship with him, knowing what Adam had done, right? Being a father, Adam was the one who was hiding. It wasn't God, nor did God stop fathering him at that moment. What did he do? As a father, he provided skins for him because he realized that he was naked. He provided animal skins for him and covering for him. Think about the next story. When Cain kills Abel and begins to deny the brotherhood, his own brother, he denies the brotherhood of Abel, God, the father, doesn't abandon Cain. No, he promises as a father to protect Cain. Yet it is Cain who ignorantly thinks that he can walk away from God, the father, when he says, it's recorded in Genesis 4, 16, then Cain went out from the presence of God on his own choice. It was not God, but humanity who closed their eyes to the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of of all. We stop seeing people as children of God and the brotherhood of all. We are all created in the image and the likeness of God. Amen? Amen. In closing, 
I just want to look at a couple passages to affirm that he is the father of all humanity. Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. He got into a boat. He crossed over and he came to his own city. Then behold, they brought him a paralytic on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, what does the father say? Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. It's one of my favorite passages on forgiveness. This man didn't confess. He didn't repent. He didn't cry out. He didn't mourn. He didn't beg. Yet Jesus forgives him as a representation of the Father, our Father. And please notice that he calls him what a father would call a son. He calls him son because he came to reveal the Father, and the Father calls him son. The man is not born again because this is before the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection. Yet, like this man, he needed to know that he had the Father's forgiveness before he asked. He also needed to be reminded that he is a son that belongs to the family of God. John chapter 11, verse 51. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for all the nations, for the, die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also, so what is that nation that we're talking about? Israel. But also that he would, not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God scattered abroad. It's a prophetic word from Caiaphas. He unknowingly becomes the high priest who kills the Lamb of God. Yet, according to John, Jesus was going to use this to gather those children who were not Jews. Some suggest that this represents all humanity, while others think it was just there were some of the tribes that were scattered, the uh, tribes of Israel were scattered. But the thing is, we know from the writings of Paul that in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. He was, it was everybody. Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, therefore do not be like them. For your father, everybody say your father. Your father knows the things that you have need of even before you ask him. So before the cross, Think about this. Before the new covenant, before any confession of any kind, Jesus himself speaks to a crowd of people, some of whom very may be the people that are saying crucify him later, some that are Jewish, some that are Roman. And he says to them, God is your father. Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Guys, on the testimony of two or three witnesses, every truth is established. Yet, again, Jesus is speaking to disciples. He's speaking to a crowd of people. It has unbelievers, believers. It has Pharisees, scribes. It has sinners. And yet, before the death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus looks at them and says, God is your father. Luke chapter 15 describes how Pharisees were constantly complaining about Jesus, this famous rabbi who was not separating himself from sinners. Yet Jesus revealed that the Father was near to all and that he was not distant from the least of these. In response, he tells three parables. And you guys remember the three parables. They're all about lostness. Everybody say lostness. What were they? Right? The lost coin. The lost sheep. And the lost son, right? And when he starts to tell these, 
Each point of each story is that something is lost, but just because they're lost doesn't mean that they don't belong. They haven't lost their belonging because they're lost. Are you, are you catching that? Listen, the coin is still belongs to the person that it belongs to. Just because it's lost, it doesn't mean that it belongs to them. If somebody was to steal a coin from me, they would be a thief because it doesn't belong to them, right? So the coin is lost. It still belongs. Does that make sense? Then he tells the story about this, the, the, the sheep that's lost. Well, who does the, the sheep belong to? The shepherd. Who's the shepherd? The father, right? He still belongs. He's just lost. And then the final one, the lost son. The story about the prodigal, right? And he leaves. Does he stop being a son? No, he still belongs. He's just lost. They all belonged. Jesus came to redeem and recover and reveal himself to lost things, to lost sons. God wasn't lost. Humanity was lost. In fact, do you remember when Gabriel appeared to Joseph and he says, and she will bring forth a son and you shall call him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. There's a lot packed in that verse, but for what we're talking about this morning, guys, please just notice that they were his people before he came. They belonged before they believed. I remember having a a hard time, really hard time with this, and I'll ask the musicians to come. A really, really, really hard time with this. It would have had to have been about eight years ago as I was studying all this out. That God being a father to all, it just bothered me. Because he could be a father to children because they're innocent, but not to adults because they're not. It was just my filters. It was what I was taught. It was offensive because I really was a hireling. I was a servant in a kingdom of a master. And if you remember the story about the prodigal, well, we just talked about it. The son that left, he, he never stopped belonging. He was just lost. But when he comes back, who has a problem with him still being a son? The other son. Why? Because he'd been doing some stuff. He'd been working real hard. So I just couldn't get past. I would just be like, God. So you're telling me that radical Muslims you're telling me warmongers you're telling me that atheists are the same as me but I've done this and I've done this and I've done this Kind of sounded like the other son in this story. I mean, to me, what they were doing was proof that they weren't born from above like I was. 
right? They're actions. But I was acting like I had no sin, like I had no action. It was just that theirs was a lot bigger than mine. I mean, just think about the son in the story who's mad, who stayed the whole time. Was he really the best son and did everything that he was supposed to every day? I do everything all the time, and you never even gave me a skinny goat. You gave him the fatted calf and a ring and a robe. That's, that's what I was doing. God, they haven't changed like me. See, I was judging myself off of my intentions and them off their actions. And then I read what I'll close with, how Paul faced this very issue. When he stood up and he spoke to idol-worshiping pagans. It's recorded in Acts chapter 17. Write it down. I'll put it up on the screen for you. Go study it and look at it. He looks at them and he says this. Because they had this temple that had all these different gods in it that they worshipped. These false gods. I mean, they would cut themselves and they would have all kinds of, you know, I'm not going to go into what they would do to worship their gods. But they did these things. and They did bad, bad things that we as Christians wouldn't approve of. And they had this one God that was the, the unknown God. And so Paul stands up in front of them, close to the one, the one idol, it was an idol, that they worship, he, it was just, they didn't know who he was. They said, this is an unknown God. And so he stands up in their temple, and he says, therefore, the one who you worship without knowing, so he's pointing to this idol, he says, him I proclaim to you. You're all a bunch of heathens, and he's sending you to hell. That's it. Over. He's a ruler. You're scum. Is that what he did? No. He says, I proclaim. He's going to proclaim the Father. And he says, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, and guys, he is. Our Father is Lord of the heaven and earth. He is all-powerful. He is almighty. He says he does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Listen to this. Since he gives to all life, and he gives to all breath, and he gives to all, all things, and he has made, listen to this, from one blood, our Father has made every nation of man to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwelling so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. And find him. Though, he says to these, to these these pagans, he says, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him, we, inclusive, we, all of us here, all of you pagans, we live 
and in him we move. And in him, we have our being. Also, some of you, and you have your own points, and they have said, for we are also his offspring. You've heard them say that? He says, I say to you, therefore, since we, inclusive, are the offspring of God. He's telling them, you're the children of God. We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Guys, his word to them is that we all have our being, our spirit, and God. We are all God's children. We're all part of the family. And I always remember the prodigal son story, and I'll go back to it one more time. The one that Jesus used, the prodigal never ceased to be in his son. Even when he left, even when he sinned, even when the father thought he was dead, he was still a son. Then, listen to this, the son, in the story that Jesus tells, he comes to himself, right? He comes to his senses. In the far off country, away from his relationship with his father, and he was willing, he thinks, I can be a servant in the house and even thinking that doesn't stop his sonship. You see, the son's awakening, and it, it, what happened it, when he turned around, it didn't create his sonship. It just became the source of his hope to embrace who he already was, a son, and to embrace who his father was, his father. And the father who represent God in the story that Jesus is telling refused to acknowledge him as a servant, accepted him as a son. You see, God is so, so much better than we think. In the darkness and others that we see about them being a child of God, it doesn't mean that it's not true. So this is what I say. What would happen if we started proclaiming to people who don't realize it that they are God's children. That he's their father. That he already loves them. Maybe, just maybe, maybe a light bulb would go off inside of them called belief, and they would believe it. They would believe, I belong. And they would experience and know God for who he really is. Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven. We thank you today. We thank you that God, you Reconciling the world to yourself. It was never a separate thing. You were never this angry master ruler. You were already always filled with mercy and compassion. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself through love, through grace. It is by grace, it is by your love 
that we have received this new birth, that we've been born into this family. And so we thank you for that this morning. And I just, I want to continue, Lord God, to live a life of spreading your love to people, spreading your kingdom to others. changing the world. We commit to that this day, not because we're hirelings, because that we're sons that serve. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Man, what a great